Well, he is risen. All right. Hey, we're going to do something a little bit different that might terrify some of you. Sorry. Um, but we're, we're Baptists here, just so you know. Um, and traditionally, Baptists greet each other. And so find someone near you and say, he is risen, and then have the other person say, he is risen indeed. So go ahead and greet someone around you and celebrate Resurrection Sunday. You can stand up. It's okay. He is risen indeed. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you can go ahead and find your seat. Go ahead and find your seat. Um, I'm going to have you mark two different places in your copy of Scripture. The first place uh, is a text that Rich read earlier, 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. So 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. And then Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read both of them here, and then um, we're going to pray. So the first one, 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I'm going to go all the way to verse 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then flip over to Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed Away, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my Son, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So I became a Christian uh, when I was a teenager, and I'll never forget my first Sunday uh, in church on Easter. Okay? We had a little youth section right in like the first pew, so all the youth would sit together in the worship service, and I'm standing there talking to some of my friends. And this little old lady comes up to me, and she yells, He is risen! And it scared me. She she yelled it, like, right in front of my face. Now, 
I don't even know if you know this, but new believers, they don't know what you're doing when you yell that, right? So I'm standing there. I'm completely unaware. No, no one had warned me beforehand that this was a greeting that Christians do on Easter. So when I didn't respond to her, instead of just moving on to the next person, she just yelled it again. He is risen. And she, it was clear. She wasn't going to stop until like I did something. So I was just nervous at, that, at this point. I thought I did something wrong. Like, why is this lady yelling at me? And the only response I could think of in that moment was, cool. <laughs> and so instead of just moving on, she said it a third time. And this time she's like mad. She's like, he is risen. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm waiting for her to move on. She's like, probably thinks that I'm mad at her, that something's wrong with me. And we just stared at each other for a good 30 seconds. It felt like an eternity until one of my friends caught on uh, what was happening. And he came up, came up behind me and he said, hey, he is risen. It's okay. <laughs> right? And then she went on to scare other teenagers. Um, so why do I tell you that story? Because as a teenager, I was unaware of the expected response to the statement, he is risen. I was unaware of it. And I was thinking this week about, because I knew that that would happen, that that there would we would say that this week and someone would be like, what is going on, right? Like, this is, this is weird. And so I was reflecting on that statement, he is risen. That statement is meant to bring up several responses in our hearts. That if you are in Christ as the people of God, we are meant to be moved by the reality that the creator God of the universe, the one who put on flesh and died, did not stay dead that he rose from the grave in a declaration that death has been defeated, that that phrase has massive implications on not only how we are to live our lives today, but how we think about the future, about how we think about the redemptive story for God. But I think for many believers on Easter morning, the only response we can come up with is, cool. (laughs) And we completely miss out on the stunning reality that Jesus is in fact alive. And so we've been walking through a series called God's Great Story, where we've been looking at the biblical narrative, the story of God. And in week one, we talked about creation. More specifically, we talked about the God of creation, that he was before all things, he created all things, and that he created us to enjoy and worship him. In week two, we saw that this perfect creation, right? That the one, this perfect, this beautiful place where we lived in perfection with God, it was broken by sin in the fall. And the result of that is that each person on the globe is unable and incapable of communing with God because the Bible calls us dead, that we are separated from him and we are condemned by him, that we deserve his judgment. But last week, we saw that God did not throw us to the side. He did not start over, but God himself came. He died, and his blood on the cross was a payment for our sin. So now... We have been born again, that we have been born of the Spirit and of water. And God looks at us, those that God has grabbed. He does not see our sin anymore, but he sees the blood of the spotless lamb. He sees the blood of Jesus covering our sin. And we're able to worship him in freedom. And today we get to the end of the story. That at the conclusion of the story, God will renew and restore all things back to their original purpose. And what we'll see today is that the resurrection is proof that we can have hope, that a new day is coming. 
So let me read to you again verse 3 in 1 Peter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So last week we talked about that phrase, born again, that God in his mercy looked at our lifeless souls and he put a spirit in us. He made us alive. It was not of our own doing. It was God's doing. He purposed it. He set his affection on you and he brought you to life. And Peter tells us in this passage that because of that great mercy, we are born again to a living hope. So a great question would be, what in the world is a living hope? What does that mean? What does it look like to actually live that out? Well, there's an old revival preacher um, named Richard Owen Roberts. He tells a story about a guy named Harry Mendenhall. Harry was in his 50s, and Harry started to become convicted about his lifestyle. So he reached out to Richard Owen Roberts, and he called him, and he said, hey, I want to join your church. And so Richard uh, says, well, let's get together first, and let's just talk, right? So they get together. Richard begins to share the gospel with Harry, and he tells Harry, hey, I want you to read the gospel of John. I want you to read the gospel of John. And he goes on and he tells him, I want you to master this book. And he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean master this book? So he says, I want you to read it again and again until you believe everything that it says you should believe, until you desire everything that it says you should desire. And so he says, when you've done that, give me a call. So a few weeks go by, Harry calls Richard, and he, he calls him and he says, hey, I read it, I believe it, can we meet? So Richard goes over to his house, um, and he says, I believe it, I believe everything it says. And then he goes, but you forgot to tell me something. So Richard's intrigued, he's like, well, what do you mean? What did I forget to tell you? He's like, you forgot to tell me something that would happen. And so he grabs Richard by the arm. He takes him to the window and he looks out the window and he goes, trees. And Richard's like, yeah, those are trees. That's in fact a tree. And then he grabs him by the arm and he takes him to the next window and he goes, bugs. And Richard's like, bugs. Yes, those are bugs. And then he takes him to the next window and he goes, flowers. Next window. And he goes, people. And he goes, you forgot to tell me what would happen. You forgot to tell me what would happen when you believe in the words of God. You forgot to tell me what would happen when God comes to get me. And he goes, he gave me new eyes. He gave me new eyes. He said, I had lived for 50 years, and all I saw was money, sex, alcohol. I saw me, me, me. But now I see Jesus. I see the grace giver. I see his world, I see his creation, I see his people, I see his grace. And I would contend, that's what it means to be born again to a living hope. It's to have new eyes that God reaches into your soul and says, look, look around, there's hope. And the born again person who has a living hope looks to the future with eyes that have anticipation. Now, I want to be careful here, because the reality is, some of you read that phrase, or you hear that phrase, born again to a living hope, and in your mind, all you can think is, that sounds nice. Good for them, right? Like, you weren't excited to come here today. You limped in here today. Or you're here because someone made you come, right? And the reality is, the world's been beating you down 
and you're exhausted. Maybe there's sin that's really gotten a hold of you. So when we talk about freedom in Christ, you, you have no idea how to comprehend that. Maybe you're going through the motions and the only feeling that you anticipate after Easter Sunday is despair. You hear that phrase, living hope, and you think, well, that's for them. Here's my hope for us in the next few moments. That in the light of the resurrection of Christ, he would breathe into us anticipation on our promised future. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you would be filled with joy that can only come from the resurrected king because understanding and believing in our resurrected Savior can do nothing else but move us into joy and in anticipation. I remember uh, Easter Sundays as a kid, we would always do this massive Easter egg hunt. The night before, all the kids would get together and we would uh, stuff candy in um, eggs. And we would also do these like hard-boiled eggs and like paint them. I always thought that was super weird because like, I'm not going to eat that. So we would just throw them at the tree anyway. um, So we would go to bed that night just filled with anticipation. I mean, we were so excited. And the next day, we would line up, and the countdown would begin. They would say, three, two, one, and then what do you think us kids did? We took off, right? We took off, and in my family, it was a fight to the death. Like, elbows were thrown. Um, People were pushed into beehives at one point, right? Um, But it would have been weird, right, if the countdown would have began, three, two, one, one, and we just stood there. Would that be weird? Would it be weird if your kids did that today? Yeah, it would be super weird, right? Because that doesn't make sense because joyful anticipation does not result in despair. Like for me as a kid, I know that there are eggs out there. I know that those eggs have candy. So I'm going. I'm looking under the bird feeder. I'm looking under benches. I'm looking high in the tree limbs. I mean, I'm looking everywhere for that candy because I know the promise. I know what's out there. I've seen it. That's what it means to be born again, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection of Christ builds in us anticipation in our souls for what I know is true. I know that death has been defeated. I know that he has moved me from a child of wrath to a child of grace. I know that I was a slave, and I know that I'm free. And I know that he has the power to raise from the grave. And I know that the one that has that power has also saved me. And I know that there is a day coming where I will see his face. And so today, I don't live in despair. I live in hope because the one that I base hope on is alive. So I have a living hope. We have a living hope that moves us into joy because we have anticipation for what's coming. So the question is, I think it's so cool to talk about on Resurrection Sunday, is what's coming? What's coming for us, for those who believe that Jesus Christ has died and risen from the grave? Look at verse 3 again. He says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the promise. Here's what we anticipate. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you go to Revelation 21 with me, um, I want to show us, I want the Bible to show us what's waiting for us. 
that because of the resurrection of Christ, we can have assurance and anticipation that God's renewal of all things will be complete. That what we lost in Genesis 1 and 2 will be made new. Shalom will be reestablished. And we will once again enjoy our creator without fear, without doubt, without shame, without suffering, or without pain. So let me read Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2 again. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So did you see what that said? There is a day coming when heaven comes down. There's a day coming when heaven comes down, when God will provide a physical space for us to dwell with him. And it's not as if we are rescued from a broken world. The broken world will be renewed. It will be redeemed. He goes on in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. If we could be honest, um, when we think about heaven, right? The new heaven, the new earth. Well, we have to understand it's not some otherworldly picture where we're all sitting on clouds in the sky in some spirit world. The Bible pictures an earthly heaven, a new earth, that heaven is not foreign, but heaven is home, which, realizes, which brings us to the realization that heaven's not boring. I think I used to struggle with this. Like, maybe I'm in such an entertained culture that I think, man, are we just going to be bored in heaven? Like, are we just going to sit around and sing songs with each other for a quadrillion years, just stare at light? What are we going to do? The answer scripture gives is no. There's so much more to hope for in heaven. This isn't an endless choir practice we're going to. It's a place where we're going to experience the fulfillment of every desire that you've ever had. It's a new earth. I mean, envision the hope, a place full of reconciliation with God. It's a place of the comprehensive redemption of culture. I mean, think about all the elements of culture, all redeemed and renewed for his purposes. The music, the arts, all redeemed to be used for the glory of God. I mean, think about it this way. Think about your favorite moments in life, right? So take, go back there. Whatever your, the moment that brought you joy. Could be your wedding day, could be your favorite movie, uh, could be something that happened with one of your, maybe when one of your kids was born, if you have children. Uh, maybe it's when your team won the championship, like me, Houston Astros, right? Sorry, Katie. Favorite day was my wedding day. Um, not the Astros. Maybe it's a moment of worship where you, you say, man, I, I, I just, I don't want this moment to end. So take your, t- let your mind go back there. A moment that you never want to end. What inevitably happens? That moment ends. And your heart is sad because you want to experience the feeling that you had when your joy was complete. The hearts of heaven will say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. He says, I am making all 
things new. Taking the brokenness of the world and redeeming it. The Bible talks a lot about this. He gives us these pictures of what it's going to be like. In Isaiah 35.1, he says the wilderness, the place of dryness, he says the wilderness and the dry land, the place of desperation, he said that place shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. In Isaiah 65.25, he says the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. That's what it's going to be like in the renewed and redeemed place. There's an uh, ancient theologian named Augustine. Uh, Many of you probably heard him. He was an African bishop, and near the end of his life, he wrote a book called The City of God. And in that book, he compares the city of man, Rome, to the city of God, heaven. I commend it to you. It's a dense book, but I believe in you. You can do it, right? Uh, And in that book, Augustine writes, as he looks out at the Mediterranean Sea, and if you've been to the Mediterranean, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's a stunning place. It's gorgeous. And here's what he says as he's looking out at the Mediterranean Sea. He says, if these, are the, if these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? If these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? So the next time you see a beautiful sunrise or you stand on the side of a cliff, as you look out, I pray that the Spirit would remind you that this is but a shadow of what's coming. So we can have assurance that through the resurrection of Christ, that he has guaranteed that there will be a physical place for us to dwell with him. The second thing that Scripture tells us, that because of the resurrection of Christ, is that we will be in our resurrected bodies in that physical place. So go to 1 Corinthians 15, and it'll be on the screen. This is what Paul says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So here's what Paul's saying. We know that one day our, resurre- our bodies will be resurrected because Christ himself was resurrected. And look, I don't know how the logistics of that's going to work. We can read 1 Corinthians 15 together and try to figure it out. But here's Paul's argument. If you say that there is no resurrection of the dead, then you are saying that there was no resurrection of Christ. And if there is no resurrection of Christ, then what I'm doing right now is pointless. You being here right now is pointless. We might as well just pack up, go home, and we can give Easter over to that creepy bunny because I think he looked creepy, okay? But if you do believe in the resurrection of Christ, then you must also believe that one day God will give us resurrected bodies that will physically dwell in his presence forever. So the promise is that one day, because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, we will have a physical place with physical bodies. There will be a renewed place and a renewed people. And so the question is, okay, we've got a place, we've got people, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? Did you notice in verse 1 that it says there's no sea? You ever notice that? It says there, the sea was no more. What's that about? Well, if you did a word study uh, on the word sea in the Bible, you would notice that the sea was known as a place of chaos. It was a place of darkness. It was a place of fear. They didn't want to go near the sea. And so by mentioning there is no sea in this renewed place, it's saying that in the presence of God, there is no chaos. There's nothing to fear anymore. I mean, could you imagine no chaos in your life? Like a life of peace, a life where there's no drama, right? 
Can you even wrap your mind around that kind of peace? In that place where there's no sea, where there's no chaos, there's no fear, in that place there's no mourning. I mean, could you imagine if there was nothing to grieve? Nothing to be sad about? There's no tears in that place. Did you know that in that place there are no enemies? If you go down to Revelation 21, 25, it says its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. Why are the gates open? Because no one's coming. No one's coming. There are no enemies. There's no plundering. There's no vying for power. There's freedom. Look at verse 22. He says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Last week, we we talked about the temple. That's where they believed God dwelt. That's where his presence could be found. That once a year, high priest would come in and make an atonement for the people of God and the Holy of Holies. So if you were a Jewish man or a Jewish woman and you read this passage, you would be stunned. What do you mean there's no temple? Where do I commune with God? Where do I enjoy God's presence? And what this text is saying is that God's presence is no longer limited to a room that we don't have access to. The whole world is the holy of holies. That the temple isn't a physical place any longer, but God himself is the temple. And in the new heaven and the new earth, the presence of God will not be something that we search for. It will not be something that we question. We will always know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is, in fact, with us. You remember when we talked about creation a few weeks ago, the creation of the world was initiated by a triune God, that the creation of the world was an act of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And after God forms and structures the world, he turns his attention on humanity. He says, let us make man in our image. And humanity was invited into a perfect relationship that was already in progress, that the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. And God looked at creation and invited them to join him to walk with him, to worship him in complete freedom and in complete peace. But then in Genesis 3, that relationship was broken, that we were unable and incapable of knowing perfect love. So when 1 John says God is love, he's talking about the Trinity. Because in the core of who God is, he is perfect love. And we, as human beings, have never been able to fully experience that. But in that place, on that day, we're, able, we're going to be able to see the perfect love of God. And we won't question it. That the idea of love today, it's so distorted. There are so many in the world, you don't have a category for it. Because that idea of love has just been broken. For the believer, the one that God has risen from the grave, the one that God has chosen and came and gotten, he will know perfect love. What it looks like. We'll be in the middle of the Trinity And we will experience the full presence of God. Look at 22.4. It says they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So in that place with our resurrected bodies, there will be a day when we will see his face. Remember in Exodus, uh, Moses tells God, Hey, I want, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And how does God respond in Exodus 33, 20? He says, but, this is what God tells Moses. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me 
and live. And what do we have here at the renewal of all things? They will see his face. There will be a day that because of the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, you will see his face. Um, you know, I haven't been following Jesus that long. I'm pretty young. I've been following Jesus for like 20 years. So I can't imagine what those of you who have been following Jesus for 50 plus years think about when you read this. Because I think about my own life and in my short life. Um, I know for me, I've rejoiced. I felt thrown into the fire. Um, I felt like I wanted, I wanted to quit. I felt chaos. I wrestled with him. I've been angry at him. I also had joy when it didn't make sense. Um, I've seen both my parents die. I've lost friends because of him. I've made friends become, because of him. I've seen my marriage fall apart and be redeemed to be something that was better than I could have imagined. I've time and time again fallen short, and he has defended me, and he has protected me. And I can honestly say, probably like most of us in here, that I've experienced a lot of loss in this life. It's been hard. But on that day, when we see his face, there will be nothing but gain. As Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There will be no doubts. There will be no questions. And I think, sometimes I think that maybe when I show up there, He's, he's going to start hashing out, like, my life. <laughs> you ever thought that? Like, he's going to have a whiteboard, and on the left side, it's going to be like, things you did good. And on the right side, he's like, here's where you are awful. Yeah, fail. I was going to say a different word, but remember, the kids are in here today. Um, but, and he's going to start hashing out all the things that you did good and all the things that you did wrong. No. When we are there and we see his face, he will see the blood of Christ that covers us, and the resurrection of his son that seals our place there. That's all he will see. You will not be the focus. I will not be the focus. His risen son, the king, Jesus, who opens the scroll in Revelation 5, he will be the focus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Do you know that Revelation 22, 4 also says that his name will be on our foreheads? What's that about? It's the idea of a seal. You are his. He's putting his name on you. That we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then we're meant to dwell with him forever. And if the promise, it's the promise that you will eternally be with him. So listen, I, I don't know where you are with all this. The new heaven, the new earth, the resurrection of Jesus. But here's what I do know. Because on Easter, we get people from all across the board. For every single one of us in here, without him, there is no hope. There's nothing. There's nothing. You can find things to distract you. You can temporarily make yourself feel okay. You can chase after money that will get you through the next day until you get bored with that thing. You can chase after fake versions of eternal satisfaction. But you are not created to find your joy in those things. You are created for his sake find your hope, 
your living hope in the death and resurrection of Christ, that he breathes life into your soul. You want heaven? You want that picture of what we just talked about? It can only happen if he gives you new eyes. If he brings your lifeless soul back to life. You want heaven? You've got to get him. You want heaven? You surrender to him. So for the believer, let this be a reminder that if he has called your name, if he has chosen you, if he has adopted you, he will never let you go. It doesn't matter what your life looks like today. If he has called you, if he has chosen you, if he has adopted you, he will never let you go. Your place is sealed in the new heaven and the new earth. You have a living hope. Your hope is alive because he's alive. For everyone else, if you could just be honest for a second, like legit, just be honest. Maybe you've rebelled against Christ your whole life. Maybe you've someone who's played the Christian game for a long time, but if you're honest, your life is just void of any kind of worship or surrender. I wonder, as you hear the word of God today, as you hear about the story of his resurrection and the promised future in Christ, I wonder if, if you feel a shift in your affections. I remember when I was saved, um, I was sitting in a room much like this, I was in high school, and a guy was preaching, and I remember after he was done, I just remember thinking, I don't understand what he just said. I wasn't following. But whatever it was, I want that. I believe that right before I said that was the moment that God saved me. And I wonder if God's doing something similar with some of you today. Where you say, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't understand why they were yelling, he has risen at me. I don't get it. But whatever this is, I want it. Here's my encouragement to you, if that's you. We're going to sing a few more songs today just because it's Easter and we're going to celebrate. Um, cry out to him. Repent to him. Repentance isn't a bad word. Repentance leads to joy because you find your hope and joy in Jesus and nothing else. Cry out to him. Repent to him. Pray. Tell him how angry you are. I mean, you think that he's so small that he can't handle your anger? He can handle it. Bring it to him. Bring your frustrations. Bring your joys. Bring your despair. Bring your grieving. And pray and wait for him to remind you that there is a living hope for us.